Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Got a very memorable list of Oilers history coming up for you at about 1.50 today. But we're going to head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline. The River Cree Resort and Casino. Excitement. Bet on it. Open 24-7. And hook up with the Senior Managing Editor of The Athletic, James Myrtle. James, welcome back to Oilers Now. How you doing? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good. Uh, now, is this vacation time for you? Is this work, uh, <laughs> being up at the Memorial Cup in your hometown of Kamloops? I'm uh, I'm all set up to uh, get my work done in my mom's basement here in Kamloops, so I'm trying to do a little bit of both, you know. Uh, not on vacation, but uh, I'm also not working while I'm at the tournament. All right. Uh, how many times have uh, various writers accused you of being in your mom's basement as an analytics-driven writer? <laughs> yeah, now now they're accurate. Now it's finally true. It hasn't been true for 20 years in the business, but this week it is. Yeah. Uh, you know I'm a huge fan of the athletic, and, and you know what? Sometimes I like the stuff that's written in there, and sometimes it's like, really? Uh, look, nobody's got his pulse on the Maple Leafs organization like uh, you do. Explain to me what happened with Kyle Dubas, Brendan Shanahan, and uh, everything in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Well, how much time do we have? You know, I, I think, you know, what what you saw was the fallout of something that had been going on all season where there were disagreements and some dysfunction between Dubas and Shanahan, and they weren't able to come up with a negotiation there. And it's going to be interesting to see here if Kyle Dubas resurfaces as uh, either the GM or the president or both with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I suspect he probably is. And uh, when that happens, I think it, you know, it's going to become pretty clear that, that Kyle Dubas was, was okay with that being his backup plan. And ultimately I think Brendan Shanahan figured that, you know, he had uh, someone in Kyle Dubas who wasn't 100% all in uh, with the Leafs organization, and now he's looking for the replacement right now. Uh, do you think there's any possibility Dubas waits for the dust to settle in Ottawa before making a decision? Hmm, I don't think he's going to be able to string the Penguins along. I mean, it, it, you and I were talking about this off the air the other day. I mean, the, the Ottawa situation is really dragging out, and yes. it could potentially end up end up costing the franchise where – you know, there's uncertainty there with, you know, who who's going to be in the front office, who's going to be the coach. Um, you got a lot of big decisions that are coming with, with the draft and with free agency coming really quickly. Um, not having the, the ownership group in place right now is, 
it's tough, you know, and, and, and being stuck in that, that limbo and not being able to make those decisions. I don't know. Hopefully, you know, Ottawa is really a team on the rise in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, I think if they do get new management in there or even existing management and they make some smart decisions, I think they could be a team to watch next year. And they need to be careful here with what how this goes through. And I think the, the best thing for everybody is if they could get a decision made here later this week. We're joined by James Myrtle. So what is the legacy of Kyle Dubas in Toronto? You know, uh, I, I will tell you from my perspective, there's some things that the Leafs, uh, you know, they pushed the envelope on the analytics side. I think they did some pretty good work and develop. Like, I, there, was, there are some people around the league that I would talk to, James, that would say Toronto, and they had the money to do so, but they might have had some best of practices. How is he seen in that, uh, you know, Maple Leaf market in the uh, in in what is obviously a hockey rabbit fan base? Yeah, I, it's interesting. I it really he feels like a really polarizing and controversial figure, to be honest. You know, um, I that's it. On the weekend, I put out a poll and I said, "What grade would you give Kyle Dubas's tenure as Leafs GM?" And you know, I think it was like fifteen percent of people said an A, and sixty percent of people said a B, and then but it's that 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 remainder group, that group that's in kind of like that thirty thirty five percent. They're a very loud minority group that doesn't like Kyle Dubas and doesn't like the analytics and doesn't like some of the mistakes he made and. The thing I would say from from my perspective is I think that Kyle Dubas really he, he learned on the job a little bit, um, which makes sense because he took the job when he was 32 years old, and I saw a lot of improvements in the way he did things and in the teams he put on the ice, especially over the last two two and a half years he was in Toronto and you know uh, they had 111 points this year they had 115 points the year before they weren't able to really break through and have postseason success which I think is a fair criticism, but he also did a lot of really good things and he put a lot of really good Maple Leafs teams on the ice and you know I think in a perfect world he would be coming back and would continue what he had built and you know the interesting thing in Toronto is that that entire front office basically almost every hire and coaching staff and everything scouting staff development it was all Kyle Dubas's people so you know it's going to be interesting to see how the new general manager comes in and is able to win that group over and able to to kind of continue the the Leafs path here uh, as being one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference last few years. James, I had a uh, an NHL executive say to me, the difference between Toronto and Edmonton is the Leafs core four is not dug into the degree that the Oilers, McDavid and Drysdale are. Uh, the Oilers have played five playoff series in the last two years. Uh, they lost to Colorado, who I don't know if anybody was going to beat last year. And you know what? I'm, I'm taking Vegas over Florida this year. The Leafs' core four scored three goals in the five games against Florida. McDavid and Drysaddle had 11 of Edmonton's 19 goals against Vegas. Is that a fair comment, that the Leafs' guys weren't dug in and the Oilers' stars were? Yeah, I mean, it seems more like... It seems in Edmonton, kind of like the the depth lets them down, if if that's a fair statement. And in Toronto, the uh, the top end of the lineup has let them down at key moments. And you know, if you'd look at the splits over the last whatever you want to say, let, let's say over the last five postseasons, when since Kyle Dubas has been the GM, if you look at the splits between the first three or four games in a series, and then the the important games, the five, six, seven, that's when the big guys haven't shown up for Toronto. And it's going to be hard to win a series if you don't have your big guys producing in games five, six. And seven, so that's why it's it's such an interesting decision for whoever the new GM is going to be, and and for President Brendan Shanahan is, do you keep this core group together? You know, John Tavares is the one who's 
most in decline given his age, uh, having a hard time living up to that contract. But he's got a no-movement clause. He's the captain. He's not going anywhere. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to trade Austin Matthews. So then you're left with, what do you do with William Nylander and Mitch Marner? And Mitch Marner's got a no-movement clause that starts on July 1, which is, you know, like four weeks away. Uh, William William Nylander's going to need a contract extension if you decide you're going to keep him, and that's not going to be cheap. they got some really difficult decisions to be made. So, you know, I think the Leafs need to get the GM here in here as soon as possible and try and, as I said, try and keep this on the road. And it'll be so interesting if they bring back the same core do they get the same result again? Because it's been year after year after year, and it's going to be a pretty bold move if, if Brennan Shanahan decides to stick behind these guys because it's something that Kyle Dubas got a lot of criticism for, was not pivoting off this group. But it sounds like, I mean, it could happen here again. And, uh, you know, it'll make the regular season kind of not really matter a whole lot, and all eyes will be on the Leafs again in the playoffs. Uh, was there? Did, by the way, and I, I, you know, I didn't watch all the Leafs end of the year avails. Did, did the core four take and accept responsibility for what transpired? I know there's been some criticism of. It was interesting, you know. Ryan O'Reilly was the one guy who got up there, you know, and Ryan O'Reilly had been with the team, you know, for like a month and had played whatever, 15 games for the team. And it was just really interesting. You know, here's a captain from another organization coming in as a rental uh, hometown guy. And he was just very, very blunt about, I needed to be better and I needed to play better. And, you know, there was a little bit of a contrast between what he said and what, not just what the core said, but every other member of the Maple Leafs. And, you know, I know Elliot Friedman's reported that the the exit interview day for the Leafs behind the scenes was was pretty grim. And there was a lot of things said there uh, by the players to the staff about how something just didn't feel right. And what we saw publicly in the avails was was that was that you know this hmm. i don't know there's 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 kind of like an us against the world mentality that settled in with some of the leafs top players and not really it doesn't feel like it's manifested in a positive way you know and they were down i think they were down 03 to florida and mitch marner was talking about you know the media is against us and all this kind of stuff and you know, I remember thinking like, why are we talking? Why are you talking about the media right now? It doesn't. You know, you lost the first three games. You know, it doesn't really have anything to do with with the market going after you. You're down in Florida. You got to get back in the series. And I don't know. I just think that maybe all of the lack of success in the postseason has just gotten to this group. And I know they've brought in mental performance coaches and all kinds of stuff. And it just hasn't. They haven't been able to turn it around. So that's why it'd be so fascinating if they decide to bring everybody back again in the court. Yeah, and as you know, Drysaddle in particular, uh, and he, you know, I mean, he scored six goals in the first two games, but he he was not happy with his performances in Game Five and Game Six. He said that. Like it, to me, it kind of took the heat a bit off Stuart Skinner. You know, like the fact that there's yeah. you know a Hart Trophy winner saying. Let's face it, I just wasn't good enough. I didn't get it done. And it was a pretty interesting... Uh, so to hear the comments coming out of Toronto was quite a contrast. All right, uh, we had uh, Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff on in the first hour. Uh, he thinks the best bet uh, to get the job is Brad Trey Living. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get it. I know that Brendan Shanahan's interviewing a number of candidates, but um, Trey Living's name has been attached to Leafs going back to before he even left Calgary. You know, it's one of those connect the dots. It's kind of like the same thing. People have been talking about Kyle Dubas potentially to Pittsburgh for a long time. So it'll be interesting if with, when the dust settles, if it is Trey Living to Toronto and, and Dubas to Pittsburgh, because those are things that have been talked about behind the scenes for a long, long period of time. And 
I'm not saying there's, you know, anyone was colluding or anything like that, but I'm also not saying that they didn't, <laughs> given uh, given just how many people behind the scenes have been saying that. All right, you're at the Memorial Cup in Kamloops. Uh, Seattle's loaded up. They got six guys off the World Junior Team. Kamloops has got three. Uh, right now, the Quebec Ramparts are through to the final, uh, and yeah. uh, Peterborough is hurting for certain. Now, I watched most of the game last night in between watching the election and uh, and Seattle and, uh, and you know Quebec. To me, that game could have gone either way, and Quebec got an early bounce. And Seattle, some of the Seattle's bigger forwards for me were were absent. But what's your assessment of what you've seen so far in the tournament? I mean, it's it's been a great event, and surprisingly, there's been a lot of blowouts and a lot of lopsided games. And you know, the the first game of the tournament was Kamloops against Quebec, and and everyone here in Kamloops was completely shocked when Quebec came in and just stomped all over them and won eight three. And they were clearly the better team right from the beginning of that game. I think the second period, I think they they scored five goals or something. And every uh, sitting in that building, that's the first game I've been to this year, uh, the Blazers game. Everyone was just stunned because. You know, people came in with really high expectations that the home team was going to be competitive. So, you know, when they came back and they played really, really well and blew up Peterborough a couple of days later, but um, it's it's an interesting event. You know, it's you, there's not a lot of margin for error, and you know, it looks like Peterborough is going to be in tough to advance. It looks like potentially that the next two important games in the tournament could both be Kamloops against Seattle, and the yeah. first one in the round robin might not end up meaning anything. And you know, it's something that makes people here really nervous just because of how good that Thunderbirds team is uh, having a road to have to go through the semifinals through a team that's that good that's pretty intimidating so but as you know you know I've been to four or five Memorial Cups it's it can come down to bounces it can come down to a goaltending performance it can come down to you know your big guy stepping up in one game it's not like a seven game playoff series in the NHL it's anything can happen in one game so and that that raising of the stakes makes this such a great event to go to. Uh, I thought it was important that Seattle beat Peterborough, and I thought it was important that Kamloops blew out Peterborough just for the WHL. Um, do you think either Seattle or Kamloops could beat, based on what you've seen, beat Quebec in the final? Uh, I think at this stage it's safe to say it's going to be one of those two teams playing the Ramparts. Yeah, uh, I'm 100%. Yeah, especially Seattle. I mean, the, the, you're right. Like, the game, I was at the game last night, and very, very close game. Like, it was one nothing for most of the game. And right. then there was, and Seattle had a huge push. I can't remember what the, the shots on goal were very lopsided. 9 nothing the in the third, first uh, 12 minutes of the third period for Seattle. Yeah, the second half of the game was really lopsided for Seattle. And Patrick Waugh is the, the coach of, of Quebec. He, you know, he really had his team locking things down. It kind of reminded me of when he was coach of the, the Avalanche, the way that they played just like, you know, trapping and, and being playing very defensively. And Quebec's impressive, though. Like, they, it's a big team. It is a big uh, team. They got... They got some guys, some NHL draft picks there. They they they're mean. They 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 interfere with the play really well. You know, kind of like uh, they straddle the line of what's legal and what isn't really really well. And Camels didn't adapt to that very well. And Seattle was struggling with it as well. But I don't think this is over by any means. I mean, I think either Camels or Seattle can beat Quebec. They're just going to have to adapt to the way because they they look like they just weren't prepared for the way that Quebec was going to what they were going to throw at them in those games. Great stuff, James. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Bob. That's James Myrtle. He's the managing editor, senior managing editor of The Athletic. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Get their new boneless chicken wings for thirteen ninety five. 
Uh, that's eight for thirteen ninety five or sixteen for twenty five ninety five. That's at Royal Pizza.ca. Fourteen Edmonton area locations uh, to serve you. Uh, Edmonton owned and operated 50 plus years. Stop for recommendation on the pizza side, the Mediterranean chicken. Back with a memorable This Day in Oilers history when we return. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. We're talking with Frank Cervalli um, about a Justin Hockey's story on... uh, Goalies that believe in the Hall of Fame. Well, the U of A Sports Hall of Fame, for some reason, Trent Brown and, and Ben Thompson aren't on it. I would argue maybe they're most impactful football and hockey players over the last 40 years. Who can figure these things out? James H. Brown, it's this simple. They've got the most experience that get you the best results. We go to List Day and Oilers history for New West Travel, serving travelers since 1979. Book your vacation today at newwesttravel.com. Here's Brendan Escott. 1985, the Oilers win their second consecutive Stanley Cup by beating the Flyers 8-3 in Game 5 at Northlands Coliseum. Yari Curry, a goal and three assists. Mark Messier and Paul Coffey, each tallying two goals and a helper. Edmonton firing 41 shots on goal. It was like a time warp. The Flyers were like a team from the 70s, and the Oilers were like a team from the 2000s. They absolutely obliterated Philadelphia in Game 5. There was a play where Wayne Gretzky came down the right-hand side of the L's, uh, side of the ice, skirted across to the left side. Paul Coffey was coming back on the right side and Gretzky, or well, that was Curry. Curry threw behind the back pass right on the tape to Coffey, went in and scored. The Oilers lit the Flyers up. It got nasty late. Uh, Donnie Jackson got into it with Dave Brown. Dave Smicko, God rest his soul, was on the Oilers bench. And Browning got the upper hand on Don Jackson, and then Brad Marsh jumped him and filled him in. And Barry Fraser, who's gone as well now, he was ready to fight Mike Keenan. The Oilers were staring at and they were just, they clobbered the Flyers. That team, voted by the fans, the greatest team in NHL history. Best team in NHL history, the 85 team. 15-3. and three. In the playoffs that year, round one was a best of five. They took out the uh, L.A. Kings that year in uh, three. And then they got the Jets. They went um, six against Philly, and f- or six against Chicago, and five against Philadelphia. And by the way, so 15-3 and three overall. The Edmonton Oilers that year, that's the highest scoring playoff year of all time. Wayne Gretzky, 47 points to win the Smythe Trophy. 47 points. Oh, man, that was an awesome time to be in Edmonton, let me tell you. Hey, uh, tonight, Reed Wilkins has got inside sports. What's he got shaking? You will hear from NHL Hockey on Rogers analyst Kelly Rudy, Edmonton Stingers forward Brody Clark, and a former Edmonton football team receiver Mookie Mitchell. There we go. Great guy. One of the funniest stories of all time with him back in the day. All right. Tomorrow's loaded. Sportsnet spec Mark Spector, L. May on the hiring of Spencer Carberry of the Washington Capitals, David. St-
Staples, Provincial Affairs, Calmness, and of course, the Call to Hockey, all on the Wednesday edition of Oilers Now. Up next, the Global News Weather Traffic Update with Randy Kilburn, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, and then Chelsea Unchid, 3 to 6. So long, everybody.